Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. The Batman opens in movie theaters on Friday, and it could be the darkest version since Joaquin Phoenix's Oscar-winning role in Joker. I spoke with Joker executive producer Richard Barada in 2019 when his jazz band played Blues Alley in Washington, D.C. We also discussed him executive producing Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, making him the perfect cross-section of the Scorsese versus superhero debate raging on social media. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, yes. <laughs> now, um, I want to get into the show here itself, um, but we'd be remiss if we don't tell our listeners you've also executive produced two of the biggest movies coming out in October. First, The Joker, and also, uh, and then um, Scorsese's The Irishman, which opens November 1st here in, in D.C. Um, let's, take them, let's take them one at a time, and then we can cap it all off with your, with your, your show here, music show. Is that all right? All right, cool. So... Joker opens Friday. I think it won the top prize at Venice. <laughs> How did you get involved with, um, you know, it's the director of the Hangover, Todd Phillips? How did you first meet him? How did you even become a part of this amazingly <laughs> buzzed about project? Well, being a being in the film industry for, I have to go back. Being in the film industry since 1984, my first movie was Desperately Seeking Susan. I was a jazz musician, musician in New York City, and then I s- kind of got into the film industry. So I started in 84. So now we jump ahead 34 years. And, uh, and after I finished doing The Irishman with Scorsese, it was the second movie I had done with him. I had done uh, The Wolf of Wall Street, produced that as well. So is this your idea? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was no, no, <laughs> no, that wasn't my idea. But that was uh, that was uh, the Dallas. What, what's yeah. his name? Uh, McConaughey, yeah, so that was his idea. It was a great thing. So uh, he came up with that. So anyway, uh, after we finished that, the, the group of people that I had worked with, which is Scorsese's group, Sicalia Films, it's called, they were, Marty was going to be a producer on The Joker way back when, a couple of years ago. He was going to be one of the producers. So the production and the hiring and the staffing of that movie kind of ran through Sicalia and Marty. So since we were part of it, uh, I met Todd, and I, you know, we, we had a nice conversation, and he agreed that I should be the executive producer on it. And uh, Emma Koskoff Tillinger was the Tillinger Koskoff was the uh, the producer on it. So we had worked as a team on a couple of movies before. So uh, I met Todd then, and then then the rest is we made the movie. <laughs> awesome. 
Um, there's so much buzz about this, at least from the trailers. It seems much different than your, you know, you, you obviously could call it a superhero origin story, but it, or supervillain origin story, but it's so, it does not even seem like it's in that genre itself. It seems, when you watch it, and again, listeners, I, I see them, I haven't seen it yet, I see it later this week, but it seems like one of those throwbacks, Scorsese, um, it makes sense that he was involved in it at the beginning. It seems like Taxi Driver, King of Comedy, that gritty New York of the 70s vibe. Um, is that what one of the things that attracted you? And he said, yeah, I think I would like to get involved with this. Or, you know, would you have had any interest if it was like a typical superhero? Well, first of all, Todd wanted to mirror Taxi Driver and Mean Streets. He wanted that look. So that was something he was always after. Uh, I did not want to do the movie. I didn't want to do it at all. I didn't want to do any more movies at that time. I had just finished Irishman, and I had started playing music right before then, started playing music again. And I decided that all I wanted to do was play music. So I had to have my arms twisted to come back and do that movie. Now, I'm glad I did, because it turned out to be really, really... uh, you know, great project to be on. And Joaquin Phoenix is unbelievable in his role. And it's really a character study. It's a, it's about a disenfranchised, mentally disturbed person that doesn't get the care that a civilized society might give their mentally ill. And as a result of that, things happen that shouldn't happen, you know. And uh, I'm, I'm reading a lot of things in the, in the press about how this could be a copycat thing. It's really not about that. I've seen a lot more violent movies, many, many more violent, many more violent movies. But, yeah, it's really not, I mean, people, there are a lot of crazy people out there and people can do whatever they want. But there are a lot more violent movies than The Joker. Uh, this movie is, is just... It's sad. It's sad in a way, and maybe as opposed to being getting the negative press that it's getting, not not from a movie standpoint, from a critical standpoint, but maybe the it, it'll do it'll do more good for the mentally ill than not because it'll expose our system for something that there's there needs to be there needs to be more services for those people. Right, not a taboo alienation, but yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Um, speak to Joaquin. You mentioned, but speak more about um, to Joaquin's performance. We've seen so many performances of this character over the years, from Cesar Romero back in TV to Jack Nicholson when I was growing up. Heath Ledger obviously won the posthumous Oscar, and then Jared Leto in, in recent years was at Suicide Squad, which was more in flashbacks and a little bizarre, if you ask me. But um, but in this case, um, we get Joaquin, you know, showing the or- the roots of this character and how. Um, talk about I, I always think of that song Tears of a Clown a little bit <laughs> um, and we have you know like the director of The Hangover which is comedy and now in this sort of thriller but I think talk about how that line is not you know that's, that's a thin line between this guy who just wants to make people laugh maybe King of Comedy style and just tilts over the edge yeah well he's uh, like I said before he's a disenfranchised person he's got problems his and growing up his mother was she wasn't mentally stable. Uh, it's, it's got nothing to do with superheroes or Batman. Nicholson's approach to it was comical, campy. 
Uh, Heath Ledger was very dark. That was dark. And Joaquin is dark, too. He tries to be funny, and there are humorous parts, parts, parts of the movie. But Joaquin really immersed himself into, into the role. He lost about 45 pounds. Um, I mean, you can see his rib cage a lot in the movie. And, uh, I mean, he really, really became this, this, this character. He really did. Are we talking Oscar bound, sir? Lucky oh, I would think so. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. Oh, yes. Oh, I, I can't see any reason, any way that he doesn't get nominated for an Academy Award. You have to see his performance. And um, also, is, if there's a way that, without totally spoiling it for listeners, uh, De Niro is also in this thing, and I don't want to spoil anything, and also I haven't seen it, so I can't really spoil anything, but um, how many shades of his actual King of Comedy character in there? It's, it's, it's not really playing the same exact character, but it's... An homage to it a little. Well, he's playing the the, the counter character to him because Jerry Lewis is the character that now De Niro plays as a talk show host. He's the Jerry Lewis yes. in this one. So it's a complete reversal. So, you know, Jerry Lewis was the was the king of comedy, and and now Robert De Niro is the the host of a. You know, like Jay Leno or Johnny Carson or Merv Griffin, those type of shows. So it's a reversal there. And talk about the actual, you know, from a filmmaking standpoint, which I geek out over. Um, you know, it's in the style of Scorsese, but it's not. It's not Scorsese. We'll get to him in a minute with Irishman. But what you know, directorial-wise, do, you know, does does Phillips bring here? You know, what sort of color palette is it? Like a gritty, bleak sort of color palette? Are there long? Continuous single takes, or you know what, what, what sort of camera stuff are we dealing with? Well, uh, let me let me jump back to the grittiness of it all. Uh, we we recreated Todd and then the and Mark Friedberg, who was the designer, and the costume, uh, Mark Bridges. We recreated a the look of the the gritty '70s in Times Square. Even though we didn't shoot it in Times Square, we shot it in Newark because it still had the remnants of of the buildings that mimicked what Times Square looked like back in the, in, the, in the 70s. So it was that gritty look. It was that grainy look that the DP Larry Shore, Lawrence Shore, uh, tried to create. So there was that aspect of the grittiness of Mean Streets. In terms of a lot of long shots, uh, there, there, there were some, but it was more of the, like you said, the palette and also the, the feel and the vibe of the time. It's uh, it's down. It's down. Final question on the Joker, then we'll move over to Irishman. Um, in terms of, I mean, we're we're watching this guy, you know, become a villain. So you know, it's it's <laughs> it's not the. I imagine not obviously not the happy ending. It's more of the Michael Corleone start great downward trajectory. Travis Bickle. Um, maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe. Maybe, maybe not. not. Maybe. Um, but in terms of just the audience experience, what do you want them to walk out taking away? I know it's probably going to be a gut punch sort of a movie in, in a lot of ways, and you're we're you know especially we're watching this guy deteriorate into violence and things. Um, what what sort of do you want want that takeaway for audience? You know, the average Joe goes and watches it, and, and they're leaving the theater. Um, is it a warning? Is it a you know let's let's find help for people like this so they aren't alienated? Or what, what sort of your thematic well, through line? Well, it's a it's a obviously it's a visceral feeling that you're going to get. It's not a it's not happy. Although it's not it's, it's not 
depressing to go see the movie. There's there's some laughs in there, and and, and like I said, the acting is superb. So you're going to be you're going to be entertained on that level, on a very high level. Um, different people are going to feel different things about the picture. Uh, you know, you're going to get a you're going to get a look into mental illness. You're going to get a look into the disenfranchised. You're going to get a look into it's kind of what's going on now. There's a lot of people that are very, very, very wealthy, and there's a lot of people that don't have a lot of money, you know. And, and in between, yes, there's an awful lot of people, but the people at the bottom are very upset with the people at the top because they feel they're not sharing the movie. Now, sharing the money. Now, you know, depending on what side of the, the ledger you're on, you know. Pun not intended. Yeah, you might find that. You might find that in your liking or not in your liking. I, you know, I don't know. But it certainly should bring to light that we do have problems, especially with the gun issues here. You know, there's uh, the man down here that's running the show, you know, thinks it's the people that kill people, not the guns. And he's saying we've got to take care of the, the mentally ill. And so, okay, let's take care of the mentally ill. And then, you know, then what happens? So I think there's a lot of, it, it could, it could uh, create some dialogue that might work towards uh, a, better, a better ending for where we're headed. So very timely. I can't wait to see it. Timely uh, is timely for sure. Yeah, I can't yeah, wait to see sure. it this week. Um, and then opening um, uh, November 1st uh, is Martin Scorsese's uh, latest gangster picture, uh, The Irishman. Give us the basic premise. I know it's, it's De Niro, Pesci, Pacino, the whole gang, Keitel, everybody back. But um, it's uh, Al Pacino and, and the disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa. Give us the, the quick, uh, you know, <laughs> the log line, if you will. Well, this is, uh, this is a picture that Robert De Niro... It was really his project, and he really was the main thrust to getting this movie done. It's really good. It's you know, it's it's three and a half hours, and it's it's uh, it's an epic film with with actors. Marty had never worked with Pacino before. This is the first time he was working with him. So to bring him on board to work with Pesci and De Niro and Keitel and Ray Romano, I, I mean that's 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 quite a that's quite a cast. And it's really about, the, it's from the, the book, it's taken from the book, I Heard You Paint Houses. And Marty actually wanted to call it, I Heard You Paint Houses. And I won't tell you what painting house, houses is. <laughs> you go to the movie, you'll see what that reference is. But, um, you know, it became The Irishman, and it's about uh, a, a man who is given the, 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 the job to protect Jimmy Hoffa. And he's a very low-level Irish American who's, who gets in with the, with the mafia. Yeah. And the connections and the relationships between Jimmy Hoffa and John F. Kennedy and Joseph Kennedy and the Bay of Pigs, it hits on so many things, so, so many things. And it's three and a half hours long, and maybe maybe it's a minute too long you, you know i mean it's it's it, it it keeps your it keeps your interest throughout yeah. 
I mean, The Godfather is three hours. The Godfather 2 is almost pushing three and a half. So to me, it, it doesn't matter. The, I always say it doesn't matter the runtime. As long as each scene's moving the story forward, you know, it, it, I guarantee Scorsese's got it, you know, deliberately paced that way. So, you know, but come in ready for, for an epic experience, you know. Um, go to the bathroom before, all that stuff. But, but man, I, I can't wait to see what he done. It, does it feel, does it still feel like that, um, you know, in Scorsese auteur-wise, is it still, like, Goodfellas flashy paced, you know, with the rock and roll soundtracks and all that, or is it a bit more, a bit more of a, you know, a patient uh, pacing? Yeah, it's more subdued. Uh, it's more staid. Uh, there are, there is the narration. It starts right off with a very long, steady cam shot. Like our Henry a la good, Copa, yeah, Copa Copa Cabana. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and then there's the narration throughout De Niro, uh, and there are little. Uh, freeze frames with descriptions of what happened to certain mobsters, uh, and which is pretty funny and revealing. Uh, it's like a history lesson. Uh, the pace is is a, is a little slower. It's funny. It's there are a lot of funny lines. The dialogue is wonderful. Steve Zalian Zalian wrote the script. I worked with him on Awakenings. He also wrote Awakenings. He also wrote Schindler, right? Yes. And maybe yeah. Moneyball. He might have helped. Uh, anyway, yeah. Maybe. But he's he's a great writer. He also directed a number of pictures. So the dialogue is is top rate, and uh, yeah, I mean it's it's it just moves along, and and it's 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 a very informative historical depiction of a man who just kind of gets sucked into a certain lifestyle, and 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 I don't want to reveal too much more sure. about about it other than it's sad. It's funny, it's sad, it's violent. It's all those things that you would expect from the master. Now, he is a master, and it's his, I believe it's his first time back with De Niro since Casino, and Pesci for that matter, right? Did you, were you on set at all? What was it like to see these masters all coming back? It's been, it must be like a bit of a reunion of sorts. Well, as the, as the executive producer, I mean, I'm, I'm like the general contractor. I'm kind of running the show. I'm not the director, but uh, I'm on set all day every day so I'm seeing everything and I have to meet the actors and make sure that they're you know they're getting their needs are being taken care of and attended to um so yes it was it was very it was very interesting it was also a lot of fun to see Bob interact with Joe and then the newcomer Pacino interact (laughs) with Joe and Bob (laughs) and then Keitel come into the picture yeah, it was a who's who of of you know of great A-list Academy Award-winning actors, and you know with Marty, it was it, it was fun to see them all together. A lot of it has been made in the press about the digitally de-aging process. I know they they did that with you know a bunch of different people in different movies over the years. I think maybe one of the Terminators did it was uh, Schwarzenegger, and it's been done several times. How does it work here? Does it take a few minutes to get used to, or is it so realistic that that we're immediately in, and it allows these legendary, iconic actors that are probably in their late 70s now, maybe early 80s, um, to play different generations of the same character? Well, I, I, I would liken it more to Benjamin Button in reverse, because... Uh, Brad Pitt de-aged in that, in that movie became a little kid so yeah wonderful movie so in this in this movie if it was always the 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 component that we were most worried about 
at least Marty was most worried about, and, and, and ILM, who did all the, the, uh, the effects. Because if you went to the movie and you were wondering w what age we were depicting for that character or what era we were in, we knew we were in trouble because we don't want anybody, Marty, I keep saying we, I'm part of it, but didn't want anybody worrying about the timeline. So when you see Bob when he's 40, he's got to look like he was 40. And when you see Bob when he's 25 and he's during World War, during the war, World War II in Italy, you want to see, you don't want to think about, oh, he doesn't look that age. So the, the, the work is, it's, it's really brand new. And we had to de-age these characters, three of them. And there were a lot of shots that, uh, that this process was taken into account. And it's pretty good. The, 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 I, didn't, I really never questioned it when I saw the movie, and I was worried about it. It's not only the look, by the way. It's also the posture. It's also the gait. When Bob starts the movie, when the movie starts out, Bob is in his 30s. And when he's in his 30s and he gets out of a truck and, and jumps down off the truck, he can't look like a 74-year-old guy jumping. So we had a movement analyst that was also there to make sure that their posture was correct. And as they aged, you know, the, and the inflection of the voice had to be taken care of because your voice is lower yeah. as you get older. So Bob Especially had to Especially Pacino. <laughs> yeah. So, well, Al pretty much stayed in that age. Sure. Hoffa didn't, didn't change that much. His, he, he, you know, his, his span of years didn't change that much. But Bob, for sure. So to answer your question, that was a long-winded answer to your question. Nah, Sorry. <laughs> but it, it worked out very well. And I think when you see the movie, you'll see that it, it, it didn't inhibit the viewing of it. And Bob and Al both said they would like to bring this home with them. Oh, wow. That sounds like an acting challenge of a lifetime for those guys, to get the movements and postures down for all those ages. That sounds well, incredible. there were a lot of people helping out, and there were a lot of people involved with the project. So, you know, it, uh, you know and, and every, every aspect and element of it was important. Yeah. Um, I'm a big film history guy. And there's no way to even say, you know, where would you rank this among Scorsese's best and all that stuff? Because, you know, Mean Streets, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, Departed. I mean, there's been so many. You worked on Wolf of Wall Street. But we still get those staples. We get those themes that I think, you know, after he's long gone, people will write about the faith, the doubt, you know, the religion aspects, the violence, crime. Rock and roll soundtracks, baby, from <laughs> Ronettes to Cream. But, um, you know... It, are there enough familiar elements that, you know, all the big Scorsese diehards will love, but also is he, if, if it's possible, maturing at all or have a different perspective later in life? Boy, that's a lot of thoughts you just <laughs> threw my way. Oh, my goodness. You just ran the gamut. I don't even know where to start. Well, Mar listen, Marty is Marty's 75, 76. He's an, an, and a youthful 75, 76. He's got a lot of energy, and he lives and breathes film. That's it. And, and music, too. So he can tell you anything about a movie, the editor from a 1947 movie that you might throw at him because <laughs> you're, you're pretty well known to be the guy that can, can run off uh, credits on, on many, many movies. So it'd be, you know, you'd, have a, you'd have a field day with Marty. I would love to. Yeah. So he's, 
he's like a renaissance man and and he's adaptable and he's very bright and he's very perceptive and now he's probably a little bit more reflective on on things and i'm sure he approaches things differently but he's always got the the verve and and the enthusiasm to bring to life whether it's religion whether it's you know god whether it's the mafia he rock and roll he's He's pretty contemporary, even though he's in the 70s. I love it. Um, all right, well. And, and let me add, how would I rank this picture with all the other great, with all the other great ones that he's done? The answer to that is I, I don't know. I really don't. I was on the set. You know, when you're on the set every day and you're watching all the takes and you're watching everything unfold, it's it's very hard to to judge and be objective about what you're seeing. I lived through it, but I do know that it looks great, and I know that the acting is great. The story is wonderful. The script was great. As for me to take it in as a, as a narrative and how how was the movie, it's 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 great. It's great. But is it better than Goodfellas? I, 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 don't, I don't know. You know what I mean? I really don't know. All I know is that I really enjoyed the experience and I wasn't, uh, I was attentive throughout, throughout, and, and proud, and proud to have made and worked with him. Well, you should be proud because I have, at least judging by all the signs so far, I mean, you could have two best picture contenders up against each other this year. So (laughs) the Oscars could be interesting for you. Yeah, I think I have a sneaky feeling that I'll be traveling out to California for some different award ceremonies, certainly the Directors Guild and the and the the the, the Oscars, the Academy Awards. It would be nice. I mean, the biggest. The biggest question might be, which table do I sit at? <laughs> right. So I, I, let's not worry about that. Let's not put yeah. the, 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 the yeah. horse in front of the, co- the cart in front of the horse. Let's table that for a second. Let's table that and for let's, a second. Let's, let's get ahead of ourselves. Yes. First, let's talk about uh, the, the most immediate reason we're here, um, which we're pegging this thing to. Obviously, Joker and Irishman. But you're playing Blues Alley on Monday night. You're not only executive producing all these major motion pictures. You are a musician in your own right. Um, Take me back to you, you alluded to it a little earlier. Um, you know, back before you you know you direct or produce your first movie in the eighties. Um, but what was you, how did you get into music? What, what was the first instrument you got, or you know, what did your parents listen to on the radio growing up, or you know, what was your first exposure? Well, m- you know, my my mother was an opera singer, okay, and my father was a real good piano player, but he was also uh, a lawyer, and then a a district attorney and then a Supreme Court judge in New York State. So I got that, that the, the, the music from those two, and I played a little saxophone, I played a little flute, but then I really got attached to the drums, and I was in my early teens. And I went away to school, and I was going to go to law school, but I, I, I couldn't. The music was in, inside me. So I loved the music too much, so when I got out of college, uh, I moved to New York City. So I moved to New York City, and I played for down there uh, for a number of years, traveled and did some recordings. And, and then in about mid-'80s, I just had a change of heart, and I decided that I wanted to do something. I wanted to make some money as well. It was hard. Being a musician is not easy. I mean, it's wonderful, and the people that you're around are so creative. But it was 
from a business standpoint, it wasn't easy. So I got into film because I had a friend found a niche for me, and I did my first movie, which was Desperately Seeking Susan. And I was just a PA in the location department. And then, you know, I, I didn't like it. I didn't like it because the hours were entirely different. I was getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning instead of going home at 4 o'clock in the oh, morning. That's, that's serious manual labor right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, it was culture shock for yeah. me. So I said, geez, I can't do this. I mean, even though I was making a little money, I wasn't making a lot of money. I was probably making, I think I was making $200 a week, you know, back in 84. So, you know, I didn't want to do it anymore. But then I got a call. And I ended up doing Heartburn, which brought me down to Washington, D.C., because I was the location person on that. And then I did Big, and then I in the location department, and then I did Working Girl. And then the next thing I know, I became a production manager, and I did uh, another movie down here. I did uh, Random Hearts, and and did Donnie Brasco, and Awakenings, and, and then I became a producer. And when I became a producer, you know, I was working on... Uh, Made in Manhattan and Mona Lisa's Smile and and all the Spider-Man movies I did and Pelham One Two Three a lot of movies and then I became uh, an executive producer and and that that's when my association with Marty and throughout all that time I always was interested in music I went out to all the clubs when I was in Washington I came to Blues Alley I wasn't playing but I was participating and I never lost the love of the music I went out and I would play once in a while maybe I'd have one gig a year if I knew somebody that because I would just volunteer to play it was never about the money so uh, about three years ago I just decided after I did my last Spider-Man that was number six I said I I got to do something I got to get back to music I just can't do this I'm you know I'm, I'm getting old I got a lot of energy, and I wanted to play. And I'm a drummer, by the way, if you didn't know that. <laughs> drummer and percussionist, and I just decided it was time to play music again. And I got very fortunate, and I started hooking up with some real good musicians from the past and musicians from the present. And now I'm with some of the greatest musicians in the world, and it's amazing. I pinch myself to think that I've just made two movies that might be nominated for awards and I'm also playing in New York City and playing at Blues Alley and hoping to continue it on and you know the group I'm down here with on on Monday night Columbus night uh, you know with with Vincent Herring and David Kukowski and Eric Alexander these are these are top people so um, it's just interesting I've come at it from both sides and it's, it's so exciting for me. What it, speak to this show here. Uh, we're sitting in Blues Alley right now on stage while we're doing this. Speak to the show itself. What are we going to hear? You know, what, um, I don't know if you can really call it a set list, but you know what I mean? What are we jamming with? Well, <laughs> the, the, it's, it's contemporary jazz. There's some Latin jazz in there as well. I have a new CD that just, uh, just came out. And uh, the first 25 people, by the way, for each show are going to get a free CD. Nice. Okay, so... That's happening. Um, there's two shows, eight and ten, I think, and uh, we're playing, you know, some original music, original music of uh, from from uh, Vincent, uh, something by Eric, some favorite tunes that I have, and uh, it's it's mostly a, go a good energy, you know, jazz program. Where are we in, you, you mentioned here in New York City, Where is this part of a larger tour or what's sort of the rollout? of this No, tour? no, it's not part of a, a okay. larger tour. I'm, 
I had just had a CD that came out. That's that's not for sale. I'm just promoting it, um, and the I'm going into the studio to do music and film. I'm gonna uh, do a recording of these uh, some favorite popular. I don't want to use the word popular, but yeah. tunes from movies that were in movies in a Latin jazz uh, genre. Which ones? Can I ask? You know the movie buff in me is like, oh, which tunes are we talking about? Well, there's, <laughs> there's stuff from Pink Panther. Oh, love it. Uh, uh, there's stuff is that from... Mancini? Mancini, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, also the wood from Frankenstein, the, the movie Frankenstein, Doctor, the one that uh, Mel young, Brooks did. Young, young Frankenstein. Wait, no, Young Frankenstein. Frankenstein, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they're doing putting on the Ritz yeah. from that. Uh, there's stuff from... <laughs> Uh, Peter Gunn, The Sound of Music, sure. uh, some one of Marty's movies, m- songs that were in film that could be put to land. And I'm also lecturing w- with it as well, talking about how music is incorporated into film and how it's recorded and whether it's source material or new material. Yeah. So I'm kind of, listen, for me, it's new. I'm getting back into it again. I can, you know, I'm, I'm not jumping from nothing to the top. Right. I'm working my way up sure. into it. So... I'm just trying to play as much music as I can, and I'm so lucky and fortunate to play with such great people and have clubs like Blues Alley recognize that it's it's worthy of, of being performed. That's awesome. Um, you mentioned in one of our prior phone conversations about you know that, that it would almost be a dream of yours if you could convince Joe Pesci to get back into music and play with you. Or did you have you ever played with him live before? Or uh, I saw one of the photos you sent me. Weren't you? Was it with De Niro on stage and you were drum, behind the drum kit? Well, that what the, what you saw with me with De Niro on stage is I, besides producing the Irishman, executive producing the Irishman, there was also there's the band that plays on the Joe, not the Joe Franklin, Murray Franklin show. That's his character's name. So I'm the drummer in the band. So you make a cameo in the movie. In that's the movie, that's a yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I wanted to be in the band. I wanted to be in the movie, and I've been awesome. in a number of movies. I'm also in The Irishman. You can see me in the corner. I'm, I'm playing. So I always wanted to do that. But Pesci is a real good singer in the in the in the, the, the mold and the vein of uh, little Jimmy Scott. He was very good friends with, friends with Jimmy Scott. He was also associated with the, uh, the, with the, the Four Seasons, that show on Broadway. What oh, was he, it? Jersey Boys. Jersey Boys. He, he, Joe, he, there's a character in there. Yeah. yeah, He knew the actual Frankie Valli. Yeah. Well, he was, in, he was he one of those it, yeah. characters. So Joe's a real good singer. And while we were doing The Irishman, Joe sang, came and sat in with me on three different occasions and uh, had, a, had a blast. And I would love to convince Joe to go back out on tour and sing and be part of it. He's, he's fun to be around, and he's a very good singer. Uh, whether he does it or not, I, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, on, on the way down here today, I was listening to a CD that I have of him singing with an orchestra. It's beautiful. It's great. Awesome. Well... You've been generous with your time. We've covered a lot of ground. But so in closing, why should our listeners come on out to your show? Well, they should come out to the show because it's a great band. It's going to be great music. The energy is going to be high. We have a good time when we play. Um, you know, it's strictly the music. But you might uh, be able to take a look at somebody that also has a, another career and how he's balanced those, those two careers and is embarking on a musical one, but the, the being influenced and informed by the, the film as well. Yeah. 
and uh, to do it all and see it all here in a historic place like Blues Alley. It's just so many reasons to come out. And I just want to commend you for, you know, you could have rested on your laurels, you know, producing these major movies, but you're, you're not, you're not resting, you know, you're, you're always trying, you're dipping your toe back into music, you know, you're, you're beating on your craft, as they say. So I appreciate it. Well, let me say this, that making movies for anybody that has made movies has been part of a crew uh, the development of them is really hard. It's really hard. It's taxing. You don't get a lot of sleep. There's stress involved. There's always issues. You're dealing with stars. You're dealing with money. You're dealing with budgets. And it's not easy. But it's easier than the music business. <laughs> so you're 100% right you that, <laughs> that, that I went from the frying pan into, into the fire. But it's okay because when you're on stage and you're performing and and the music is clicking it's worth it awesome richard thanks so much for taking the time we really appreciate it yeah it's my pleasure and good luck to you as well thanks sir thanks so much for joining us on beyond the fame with jason fraley remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear we'll see you next time I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.